0: Thank you. I'm so excited to worship this morning, not only in the worship music and time of praise, but getting into his word and actually reading the mind of God and encouraging our hearts and minds that way. Uh, he is an amazing God uh, who is able to turn graves in the gardens. Amen. It's amazing to worship him this morning. Uh, we are picking up our series. Uh, we actually opened up this series two weeks ago, uh, but last week we were so blessed to have Tim and Chris C with us. And so if you missed last week um, and didn't get to hear all of that he shared with us, uh, you can go on our website, you can go on our app, and all of that's available on the bulletin, the in there, where to find those things. But uh, you can listen to that service. And uh, it was just such a great, faithful ministry to the Lord in all that God had him doing. uh, Not only just starting off in construction and overseeing construction there in the mission, uh, the location there at the mission school, but also just moving into the off-grid tech center and, and training up missionaries to be able to use technology and resources out in the mission field so that they're able to do Bible translation and church planning and have those things taken care of and that he was able to come up with ideas and work with people in ways to create things that weren't even in, in, invented yet. that weren't even available yet on the market. And yet they were able to put some things together to help these missionaries to be able to do what call, God called them to do. And so just an amazing time last week. And so if you missed that, go back, watch that service. You'll definitely be blessed by that. Um, and I have to note how amazing it is to realize that Tim and Chris were sent out of North Goodland. Uh, that this church over 40 years ago, 45 Plus years ago, I sent them out as missionaries, that they, they were attenders here and, and members here in this church at the old church there on Clear Lake Road and uh, kind of a little small country church there. And, and you have to think about all those that were sent out from that church at one time to do the work of God in missions. And I'm so excited to think about the potential of what God could be doing to maybe raise up missionaries right here in our very midst to raise up missionaries and pastors and teachers to go out. Maybe there's children right now in junior church that are being taught the word of God and in the things of God. And one day they're going to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender my life to full-time ministry. And I'm going to go to that mission field. And I'm going to take the gospel to all ends of the earth. And I pray that as a church, we're excited about that. We're thankful for that. And we're encouraging of that. I have to say, Tim mentioned it last week that there were graduates coming out of their program with uh, Ethnos 360 Missions Agency. And it was so great to see that picture of all those couples and individuals, most of them younger, some older. And it was great to see that mix of people going out into the mission field. But I think about the kids raising up in churches like ours. Children that are sitting in junior church classes all over the country right now in good Bible-preaching churches. And I wonder how many of them are called to the mission field. Do you remember when Tim said he was called eight years old? He was called to the mission field. I wonder how many kids excited for god's calling on their life go to their parents their christian parents and say mom and dad you're not going to believe this but i really feel like god is calling me to the mission field god wants me to surrender my life i don't know where i don't know when i don't know all the details but i know i need to be on the mission field and so one day i want to go to the far reaches of the world and preach the gospel and there's some christian parents that would be so excited and pray over their children, and have been praying that very thing over their children. Not missions necessarily, but surrender to God. And there's some Christian parents that would sit their children down and say, oh, and say their name. I don't know if that's really wise. I mean, you know, there's just not a lot of financial stability in missions. There's just not a lot of financial security in missions. There's just not a lot of stability in that. You know, maybe, maybe you should just go to school and, and get a good job and work hard and make a lot of money. And, and then you'll really be happy. I think this is an emotional response. And that fact alone, that those conversations have taken place as a pastor, just breaks my heart. So when I say, man, I'm excited for the potential of missionaries and pastors sitting in our midst today. By the way, there's no age limit on those things. Amen. Maybe you're sitting there like, oh, pastor, that was, you know, that was for when I was younger. But I'm, I'm much too old now to do things like that. You have no idea what God can do. We don't put things like those kind of barriers on our God. But if your child, maybe your grandchild or your child comes to you. They were in here last week, by the way. They heard the same thing we heard. And they say, you know what? Maybe I've been thinking about this. Maybe I want to go to a different country and preach the gospel. Mom and dad in Christ, what's your response going to be? Are you going to be fearful? Of course you'll be fearful. They're your children. You want to protect them. But isn't the safest place to be in God's will? Isn't it when we surrender and say, God, these are really your children. They're not mine. You've just, you've given me to lead them and to guide them in the time I have with them. But these are your children. You love them more than I ever could. And so I want to encourage you, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, after what we heard last week, if you have that conversation with your children or grandchildren, encourage them. Don't discourage them. Maybe they don't know all the details. That's fine. Just pray over them. Excite them. Encourage them. Give them opportunities to serve even at a young age. And watch how God will begin to ignite a flame in them, which will in turn ignite a flame in you. And so I just wanted to share that this morning. That's not even in the sermon notes. That's just totally just free. That's just a giveaway. That's just, you just get that just for showing up today. Congratulations. We are going to continue in our series, though, When Pigs Fly, talking about the idea of miracles. Do you believe in miracles? As we're diving back into our series, again, we opened up two weeks ago. And, again, if you missed that service, you can check that out online as well. Um, but we talked about the miracle of deliverance. We opened up this series with the miracle of deliverance that in Christ... That through Christ, through the cross of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we receive that as our own, as our own personal salvation, not of works which we have done. Because by the way, your works will never gain you salvation. But by receiving Christ through the cross, and then the gifting of the Spirit, at the moment of salvation, you are indwelt. The Spirit of God takes up residence in you. And that combination of that great blessing of salvation provides for us deliverance not just from the outside enemy of satan and his demons and we talked about that i know a lot of us don't want to think about that we think that's more cartoony right like satan is this little figure with pointy horns and a tail and a pitchfork right we think of him on our shoulder that little image right the angel the good angel and satan on this side and we 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 have this image of satan but the bible depicts a completely different creature See, in in cartoons, he's made to look weak and kind of more something we laugh at. We're not afraid of. And we shouldn't be fearful of the devil in the sense that he'll have victory over us. But we need to be sober-minded and see him as an adversary, an enemy who desires to destroy and attack us. But praise God, through Christ and all that I talked about a minute ago, we have deliverance from Satan. He has no power over you except that which you give him. See, he has no power over you. So why do we fear him? Why do we, why do we worry about, oh, this or that attack? No, we have confidence in our victory in Christ. But not just Satan. We've been delivered from self. And I don't know about you, and maybe I'm preaching to the wrong group. That's fine. But I'll just be honest. In my life, especially as a believer, I think I've been attacked more by my own flesh than I ever have been by Satan. Because guess what? Satan can't be everywhere with me all the time. Amen. Like Satan's not omniscient. Satan is not God. He is not all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Only God is those things. So Satan can't literally stand next to me 24-7 and just keep poking me, trying to get me to do things I shouldn't do. We like to think that's the case because we want to blame him and not look at ourselves, but he doesn't do that. But in my Christian walk, do you know who's always with me? Me. Yes, got to. Lynn went spiritual on me. Good job. Of course, yes, Christ is with us as well. But in the sense of that attack, my flesh goes with me everywhere. And so when we start talking about deliverance from Satan, yeah, we need to know that we've been delivered from his, his authority and his rule, that we have victory and we've, we've conquered cr- death and hell and Satan, not because we've conquered him, but Christ has conquered him and given us that victory. He's given us his righteousness. But man, your flesh, it goes with you everywhere. And if we're honest this morning, I think we would all agree that it's really probably more ourselves than Satan that we really need a deliverance from. As far as the constant temptation and prodding and poking and pulling. And so I'm so thankful that we were able to discover that we've been delivered from sin that comes from within us. The desire to do wrong things and then that outward attack of the world and Satan. We have victory in Christ. We've been delivered And that is really, honestly, the greatest miracle that will ever take place in your life. Ephesians 2, we're not going to turn there, but Ephesians 2 says that you were dead. We've talked about this in our men's Bible study. Not partially dead, not kind of dead, not sort of dead. You ever notice this? When people say something's dead, it's dead. It's one of those things, you know, you're dead or you're alive. Well, I was kind of dead. Nope. Nope, that doesn't exist. Nope, you're dead. Dead, dead, right? You were so dead in your trespasses and sins that it took the work of God by the moving of the Holy Spirit to quicken you and make you alive. See, that's the greatest miracle. And if God chooses to never do another miracle that you're aware of in your life the rest of your Christian life, he's already shown you his power because you were dead and in Christ now you're alive so we praise God for the deliverance that we have in Christ. This morning, we're going to dive into our second week of the series, talking about the miracle of healing, the miracles of healing. Now, I'm going to give you a little warning. Uh, We're not going to get through all this this morning, so I'm just letting you know. Okay, so we're all on the same page because you're like, it's 1123. He just got to the title. (laughs) Like, I know it's going to be at least 10 more minutes before we get to point one. And you would be right, but we're going to be fine. Okay, we'll be fine. We'll make, we'll make it work. As we talk about the miracles of healing, see, for everyone in this room, especially if you grew up in, in a church background, you hear healing. And not only do you maybe think of certain passages or certain moments in Scripture, you start thinking of your own church experience, your own Christian experience. It's one of those things that, that draws us to a, a memory or a moment or a time that we maybe prayed for certain things. I know this can be even a sensitive topic and subject for some of us. And maybe even has caused some issues between you and God in your walk with him. Maybe this issue of healing has actually caused division and conflict in your walk with Christ. Where you as a believer, you've had these feelings of, God, why not? God, why didn't you? God, I know you can, but why did you not? God, was it me? God, was it this? Was it that? What's going on here? We have a lot of different emotions we can feel in this area. And maybe sometimes there was even conflict. For others, maybe you grew up in a church background with such an emphasis on this area. There was such an emphasis on this area of healing. And yet maybe you saw the longer you were in that church or that background that you grew up in, that maybe what was presented before you was not as genuine as you were led to believe. Maybe you saw things in church that you were presented, that were presented to you as one thing, and then the more you dug into it, you found out, that's not quite as real or as genuine as I thought it was. Uh, maybe there's not as much to that. Uh, maybe it was more for show than it was for something of substance. And if we're being honest, we said this in our first week, I think a lot of times we get infatuated with the idea of a miracle. This is why we'll say things like, and if you weren't here the first week, we unpacked this, but just bear with me. And if you said this recently, I did not know this. I didn't see the post. I don't know anything. But so often we'll use phrases like, everything is a miracle. Well, there's miracles everywhere. Every day is a miracle. And I know what people mean. They mean, man, we need to see this as a great blessing from God. It's a gift of God to see God work as a great blessing and encouragement and, and just makes us know we're loved by him. And I get all of that, but maybe we should stop saying everything is a miracle because in scripture, we don't see that. I mean, how did the people respond when God did a miracle? They were blown away and astonished. Why? Cause they had never seen nobody get up from the grave before. When someone's healed of blindness, they were like, no no big deal. That happens every day. Someone walking on water. I did that three times last week. What do you, I mean, what's the big deal? See, I, I know what we mean, but man, when we read scripture and get into the New Testament and we see the working of God in these things, man, yes, we can be appreciative and thankful for the many moves of God in our lives. But there are moments where God goes above and beyond. Amen. And he moves in a way that then you're literally in awe. And you go, God, that's, that's a miracle. That's, you moved in a way that never could be understood outside of your supernatural power and ability. So in this area of healing, I think we need to approach a similar way. That we need to come away. And my prayer this morning, as we leave this morning and next week, since we won't get through everything this morning. My prayer this morning is that we will leave with a biblical understanding of God's healing power and purposes in our lives. That we'll have a biblical, notice the word biblical, not experiential. There's two types of way to to read this book and to take what you read and develop views of God. We call that theology. I have a theology of God. I have a view of God dictated to me by something I believe about God. And we got two options. We either take what we see around us and experience in our own lives of God or what we believe to be of God, and we let that kind of be the lens that we look to for God. Give you an example. I grew up in a really, let's say, a bad situation. Let's say I grew up in a really bad home, and I didn't have a lot of love, and my father wasn't around, and I didn't have that lovingly father figure in my life. And so then I come to church, and they go, you need to receive Christ because God loves you like a father. And you go, I don't want that. Now, some of you know my testimony. My father did leave when I was really young. I did grow up in not a great situation. Uh, we grew up pretty pretty poor in a lot of ways, and didn't have a lot of things. And I didn't live the best life or have the best influences in my life. And when I heard God say, or somebody say, God was a father, it literally gave me pause. Well, I don't want that because to me, father meant you're going to leave. You're not not consistently and unconditionally loving me. It's, It's performance driven. If I do this, you'll stay. If I do this, you'll go. And so for me, I let my experience dictate God. And many of us do this in negative and positive ways. I've been blessed my whole life. I grew up in a pretty wealthy home. I have all that I ever wanted. Man, my parents are great. I love my mom and dad. And so I see God as this generous, gracious, give me whatever I want kind of God. Well, I'll ask for it. God, you've got to give it to me. My mom and dad always did. I always had everything I ever wanted. See, we let our experience drive our view of God. But we can't let experience drive who God is. We have to let the revelation of God drive who God says he is. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, My faith in God is not based in what I experience in this life. My faith in God and who God is and what God does and why God does what he does, even when I don't know why God does what he does, which is often, is not driven by my experience, but by the Word of God. And that's an amazing, powerful, freeing moment. Because here's the thing. You ever have a conversation with somebody who had different experiences in their life than you did and their view of God is different than yours? God's vindictive, angry, mean because they've gone through crazy, bad trials and struggles in their life and you're trying to explain a loving God and they're like, I don't know that God. Because we don't start with what you've experienced of God. We do share our story. Praise God. We all have a story of how God rescued us from sin and hell and we can share that. We don't start with our story though. We start with his story. We start with the gospel. We define who God is by the way God defines himself. And in this area of understanding healing, power, and purpose, we don't want an experiential type lens or mindset. We want a biblical approach. Because so many people will say, well, God is not a healing God because I prayed for that and he didn't do it. So God is not a healing God. Other people have prayed and God healed someone. They go, God is a healing God because he healed. Do you see how this works? Sooner or later, whatever side of the fence you're on, it's going to be challenged, tested, and tried, and you're going to be disappointed. Well, wait a minute, God, but I prayed and you answered, but then I prayed again and you didn't answer with the healing. So what's going on here? God, I prayed and you didn't answer, so I'm not even praying. See how if we're not careful, we let our experience drive our whole Christian lives? And let me just say this, if you're here and you're not not a follower of Christ, you don't know Christ as Lord and personal Savior. I know a lot of what I'm saying is geared towards those that know Christ. But I want to let you know that you can be delivered today if you receive Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And so if you want to talk about that, we'd love to talk to you more about that. But for the believers here today, I think this is something that we can wrestle with. To begin, I want to go to our text that we started with two weeks ago. This is kind of our text for the whole series, this is kind of the the foundation of what we're doing. And so, go to Ephesians chapter three. If you have some Bibles. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, you should turn be able to turn to page 824. So, Ephesians chapter three, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 824. So, Ephesians chapter three, and we're going to look at verse 20 through 21. Now, the letter of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. I want to pick up in verse 20. And again, this is our foundational text. This is what we're kind of building everything on for this whole series. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We unpacked this a lot last time, but I want to really spend a moment on this before we pray and ask God to affirm these things. Verse 20. Now unto him. Who's the him there? It's, it's the Christ. Now unto him that is able to do. God is able able. Amen. Some of you know that God is able. Amen. We're getting better. We're getting there. Maybe one more. God is able. Amen. Okay. Now we're on the same page. He is capable. It's, it's, there's nothing impossible with our God. Like, let that sink in for just a moment because we don't really understand that because there are many things that are impossible with us. Algebra is impossible for me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody, right? Calculus. We don't even, I, I don't even like saying the word. Okay. It's it's just, oh no, no, there's no fun math. No, it doesn't exist. It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay. But with God, literally nothing is impossible. Like, like, what does it say in the text? If you can think it or more or less imagine it, God can do it and not only do it, but exceedingly more than that, exceedingly abundantly more than that, but he is capable. And I think so often when we think of our God, we take our limitations or our understanding and we put those on him and we box him right up and we go, okay, God, this is what you can do. And we talk to him like that's all he can do. We pray to him like that's all he can do. We instruct him that that's all he can do. You ever pray and actually most of your prayer is spent telling God what to do? I know some of us are like, "Uh, no, preacher, I would never do that. You lying. We do that all the time. God, why would you do that? Well, So now you're telling God what he should have done. I'm not saying we're not honest with God. We need to be real with God. But we need to realize that just because it's impossible for you doesn't mean it's impossible for him because God is able. And so I want to pray. I know Pastor Greg led us in prayer, but let's pray and ask God to really affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. And God, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would know that you are able. And I pray that we would pray and believe as it is possible for you to do all things. But, Lord, with that, I pray that we would actually desire a biblical mindset where we would step back and ask questions about what does your word really say? Because, Lord, it's not, a, it's not an issue of can you because we know you can. We just want to understand at times in our lives how we can pray effectively to what you desire, to what you would have done in your will. Father, in all of this, we ask that you would be glorified in the church through Christ Jesus, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the truth is, God is able. But I want to give us a biblical truth that we must understand. A biblical truth we must understand. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. If you would like a copy of these notes, I can give those to you either digitally or print them off for you. Just let me know. Reach out to me through whatever, email the church office, Facebook, whatever, but um, a biblical truth that we must understand. The first thing we have to understand is our God heals. Our God heals. Amen. Our our God heals. Like, Like that in and of itself is amazing because he's not bound to heal because we say he should. He's not bound to do what we say he needs to do because we say to do it. So, the fact that he would choose to heal is a great blessing and a great gift to us as his creation. He doesn't have to heal, but he chooses to. He doesn't have to work, he doesn't have to show himself but he chooses to. And let's go back and remind ourselves, why does he heal? And why does he reveal himself? And why does he do these things? Well, Ephesians chapter three told us, it is all for the glory of the Lord. Everything is for his glory. The truth is nothing again is impossible for him. No diagnosis is too difficult. The word terminal does not shake our God from his throne. The word terminal does not shake our God from his throne. He is the great physician. He formed us. And as he told Moses, when Moses was stumbling over his words and unsure of his confidence and didn't know if he could really go to Pharaoh and do what God called him to do, he said, I'm not a great speaker. I don't speak eloquently. I kind of stumble over my words and I say with Moses, amen. But God says, Moses, let me ask you a question. Who made your mouth? Like, who formed you? Who created you? Who gave you the body you have? And the answer, obviously, is is God did. Now, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made that he formed you in your mother's womb, that you were formed with purpose and intent. And if he can form you and shape you and mold you, then I think he knows what your body needs to be healed of this or that thing at this or that time. You see, God is able to do these things. He is the great physician because he is the creator of all mankind. God knows how to heal in ways that we cannot imagine. I love reading in the New Testament about the various ways that Jesus performed healings. And did you ever just stop and just read through the different ways right? In some cases, he just tells the person, go home. By the time you get home, they'll be good. That's my paraphrase. Jesus would probably never say, they'd be good or they'll be good, right? But how about when he spits on the ground and he makes mud and he puts the mud on the person's eyes and says, go wash. And the guy goes and washes and he can see. When he just says, hey, just get up and walk. When he calls out the Pharisees, he what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal? Watch, I'll do both. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Sometimes he would touch the leper and heal them through physical touch. Sometimes he would just say the words. You see, our God is able. He doesn't have to be present in the room, in the moment. God can just speak the words or think the words, and the healing takes place. Like, our God is amazing. I have to note the one about the mud always gets me. And what gets me most about that is you're a blind individual. You can't see. And you know Jesus is there, and you're talking about healing, and all of a sudden you hear Jesus spit on the ground. And you think that was weird. And then you feel something cold and wet on your face. And you think, how did he make mud? It didn't rain. See, we read these things and we go, man, God, you're so amazing. And I love reading these stories about what you did. You hear that? What you did back then. Listen, the way God heals today is different than the way Jesus healed on planet Earth. Because guess what? I mean, Jesus isn't here in the flesh. He's not making mud with his hands and literally putting it on your eyes. But our God heals. And he heals at his own discernment. He heals the way he chooses to heal. Our God is so powerful to heal of any disease at any time. He's able to heal of any disease at any time. It doesn't matter the diagnosis, it doesn't matter when you found out. God's always known, and He knows what He's going to do. See, a biblical truth we must understand is our God heals. But he doesn't heal everyone every time. Our God heals. But if we're talking biblically, our God heals, but not everyone, not every time. Now, let me give a little, maybe a little preface here. Sometimes we pray for healing this side of heaven. And God chooses to heal that side of heaven. And he might take someone home through some sickness and heal them in his very presence. And they're restored and they're whole and they're complete. You see, our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone every time. When someone is not healed this side of heaven, it is not because God can't. I know that is a hard truth to grasp. And I want to identify that this morning, That that is tough for us. That's tough for me. That's hard for us to wrestle with. I know in church we go, oh yeah, no, mm -hmm, amen, preacher. Ah, yes, that's truth. But in our everyday practical down in the, just the daily grind of life and the trials and the struggles and everything we go through, so many of us, myself included, have said, God, I know it's not an issue of Ken that you didn't heal that person. And that, humanly speaking, let's just chip away all the, Spiritual facade of just putting on the church face. Let's be real for a moment. Humanly speaking, that, that bothers me, humanly speaking. That I know he can, but chose not to. But then I'm so thankful I'm reminded in the spirit that it's not my job to tell a sovereign God how to be God. I'm reminded in the spirit that he is not a genie. That just because I make a couple wishes, he's bound to obey. You see, we did a series a while ago and we talked about the on-demand God problem we have. Like we think God is an on-demand God. God, I said it. You should do it because I said it. And then we're reminded he is not bound to that. That he is God and we are not. And sometimes he chooses not to heal the side of heaven. And it is a hard truth to grasp. But our difficulty to understand that truth does not make it any less true. Just because it's hard for us to grasp that doesn't change that it's true. Two examples I'll give you for time's sake. I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can jot them down for notes. Two examples in letters to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. So this is in the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul writing who also not only talked about healings, but performed healings and miracles. In one example, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul writes this, Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus. So again, if any ladies are looking to have children, little boy Trophimus, that's always a winner. Go with miss or trophy, uh, whatever. Tro, that would be kind of a hip little millennial thing to do. Okay, Says here, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Did you hear the words of Paul there? He says, "I left Trophimus sick in Miletus." So the apostle Paul, who can heal, who has apostolic authority to heal, chose to leave someone sick. Another example: First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-three. First Timothy five, verse twenty-three. Paul, writing here to Timothy, says this. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, let me just right there say, yes, Paul is telling Timothy to drink a little wine for his upset stomach. Because the water in Ephesus, where he was, was most likely bad. Uh, Gave them stomach issues and illnesses. Well, let me also remind you, because when I read that verse, I feel obligated to remind you. Ephesians says, "Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess." So many have used that verse to go, "Great, cool, license." Now I can just drink as much as I want. I'm just being real. But the Bible's clear: you can, but is that really what God would have for you? So just be guarded there and use wisdom in that. But here, what does He tell Timothy? He says, hey, man, your stomach keeps getting upset and you keep having these frequent illnesses. Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. So in two cases in the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul's own words, he actually gives them not only medical advice, but he says he would pray over someone that was sick, not necessarily healing them. Paul either prays for the sick or offers them medical advice. So why would Paul do this? Well, we don't know. We don't read why Paul chose to not heal these individuals. But for whatever reason, according to God's will, they were not healed. That was God's will. Paul made a decision based on God's leading not to do that. This is the main issue with some that believe God can heal means he will always heal. Again, this is not true in scripture. And this is not true even in our own eyes and lives in the church. I've known many amazing, godly, passionate followers of Christ who have been prayed for, who have prayed for themselves. We've prayed for healing. And God's will was different than my understanding. And God chose to take them home. And I don't know why. I don't understand why some are healed and some aren't, but I don't have to know why. I just have to trust the God that is God, according to the word of God. The Bible tells us that even though we may not understand why, there is one truth we do know, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A believer, somebody in Christ that you've been praying for, for healing, that God chooses by his own will not to heal this side of heaven, but goes home to be with the Lord, we rejoice because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we're going to stop right here. We're going to pick this up next week. But I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning. We're going to have time at invitation. And in just a moment, the praise team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. You're going to have a chance to respond. Maybe you want to respond right there in your seats. And that's totally cool. Maybe you want to come and pray and bend a knee. Maybe you're here this morning and the issue of healing brings up some mixed emotions for you. Maybe it's actually caused some conflict in your walk with Christ. Maybe there is some current conflict and t- tension in your walk with Christ because you prayed for someone to be healed and God either isn't doing it or didn't do it. And that caused you to have some conflicts, some hard feelings towards the Lord. I, I guarantee you, God is big enough to take what you're feeling right now. God is big enough for you to cry out to him and say, God, this really bothers me. But I always tell people this, as much as we should be honest with God and real with God, and we need to, and we can do that this morning, bending a knee or in our seats, we also need to be real enough to say, okay, God, but I'm willing to listen to why or what, or maybe what I need to learn from this. See, we, we love to tell God how we're feeling, but we need to be careful because God, in grace and in love, through his word and the moving of the Holy Spirit, will also tell us how we need to be thinking and feeling about a thing. And so maybe you would do that this morning. Maybe you would say, Lord, you know this has been an issue for me. I just want to give this to you because I want to understand that you can heal, that our God heals. And I pray according to that. But I also know that you don't heal everyone every time. God, help me to understand that, to pray according to that, and to believe that our faith in you, God, and this is key, our faith in God is not determined by what he does, but who he is. Our faith in God is not bound to what he does. It is bound to who he declares himself to be. And that is why we have faith. And that is why we believe. And so would you bow your heads with me as we spend some time of invitation this morning? Father, as we spend some time reflecting this morning in application of what we've heard. Lord, I pray first and foremost that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, your word makes it so clear that we will enter your gates. We will enter your heaven, not because of good works that we have done, not because of religious deeds that we've committed or going to church this many times. There's no tithe check or religious work that's big enough to cover our sinfulness. And so, Lord, it's not about what we can do. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about reading the Bible through in a year. It's about surrendering to you. It's about admitting that we've sinned and fallen short, that we've broken your law That we are not perfect, and that because we are not perfect and we have sinned, we are guilty. That we deserve punishment. We deserve sentencing because of our crimes. And that sentence is to a place called hell. It's not a scare tactic. It's not meant to scare anyone to getting saved. It's the truth. That we can either pay for our own sins by spending an eternity in hell, Anguishing. Or we can receive the free gift of salvation that you offer. That you died for our sins on the cross. That you were buried and rose again. And that anyone, anyone, no matter their background, no matter their sin, no matter anything, that anyone, if they would just repent of their sin, turn and trust in you, can be forgiven of their sin and be gifted, granted by grace, eternal life. And that when we leave this world, we will be with you forever. And so, Father, we have a choice to make. Will we pay for our own sin? Or will we receive the payment that you gave for our sin? Thank you for that that option. That you allow us to have that choice. And so, Father, if there's anyone here that has not made that decision, I pray that they would prayerfully consider what your word says, Lord, that they would receive Christ today. That today might be the day of salvation for them. Father, for the believer here today, the one that knows Christ. Maybe they've prayed for healing, Lord, and the answer was not what they hoped for, not what they wanted. And maybe, Lord, to some degree, that's caused some issues in their walk with you. I pray that they would own that, be real about that, and just call out to you, Lord, sharing that with you. Father, I pray that they would know that your grace is for them, that you desire to lift them up, And so, Lord, help us to know that our faith in you is not based in what you do. It is based in who you are, who you reveal yourself to be. Thank you for showing your love to us through the cross. We need no other proof. And so, Father, again, may you be glorified in all that is said and done as we respond to you. Holy Spirit, lead God and direct in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we're led in the song of invitation? Would you come and pray? Maybe they there in your seats or here at the altar, would you come and just spend time with them reflecting on what God has spoken to you about this morning?